All right, uh, we are on the road this week, so technical glitches are kind of standard for the course, I suppose, but we're reading 20 pages a week all the way through the Bible. Keith Stonehart is joining us from Fultondale, Alabama. Uh, thank you very much, Keith, for joining in. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Oh, glad to do it. We'll try this again. Give me your first impressions on Ezekiel 25 through 48. A lot of doom and gloom. Um, there's a lot of prophecy against the foreign nations and lament against the four nations. It's like seemingly after every prophecy against the nation, there's a lament for that nation. You know, and so when you read, the, it's not a feel-good reading. You know what I mean? And, and I think this is where a lot of times people get the idea that, you know, the Old Testament is full of doom and gloom because these chapters really are. Uh, there's not a lot of, uh, of uh, you know, there, there's not a lot of, uh, of the more uh, uplifting type of, 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 literature here it's it's pretty it's 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 pretty serious stuff it is it is isn't it and not just for the israelites it's uh doom and gloom for the other nations also uh, yeah I've heard yeah egypt yeah egypt pharaoh tyre uh there's a lot there's a lot some have, have asked me whether uh i think it, this letter was circulated to the other nations i don't see any need to to believe that I think that the doom and gloom against the other nations is to kind of put uh, Judah's suffering in perspective personally. I don't know if you'd agree with me on that, but it's I not do agree just with that. that I'm out to get you. I, all evil is going to be punished before me. Well, you know, the, the, what, the, the standout for me is kind of right in between these chapters, right in the middle of 25 to 48 or in, in chapter 33. The thing that really sticks out to me uh, whenever he talks about, you know, Jerusalem being struck down in verse 30, he says, as for you, son of man, your people who talk together about you by the walls at the doors and say to one another, come, let us hear what the word that comes from the Lord. And they come to you as the people come and they sit before you as my people and they hear what you have to say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths, they act, their heart is set on their gain and behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. When this comes, and come it will, they will know that a prophet has been among them. That passage really sticks out because no matter what time period we're in, that's still relevant. Mm -hmm. That is still a relevant passage of Scripture where we see it in our time, and we've seen it in every time leading up to this one, and I'm sure we'll see it from now on, is that there, there will always be an aspect of people that say, oh, man, look, this guy's a great speaker. We, we need to go to this meeting, or we need to go and, and hear what he's saying, and then they leave there entertained, you know, um, but not changed. And uh, I think it was Dee Bowman that said that if your preaching doesn't change people, it's not good preaching. And... Uh, and I think that that's that's a that's a true quote in in, in a lot of this context, you know. But the, but they do people, and I don't want to I don't want to say I don't want to sound negative. But I mean, when someone says to me, "Hey, man, I really enjoyed your sermon," sometimes I don't know how to take that because yeah. I feel like Ezekiel here, like, "Hey, you you were entertained by what I said, but but are you thinking about what I said? And more importantly, will you do anything with that?" And you know, and I know that that's a negative way to be, but you, you know, as a preacher, you, you, you know, the, what I'm getting at, you know, sure. when uh, you're hoping every week that you leave people with something uh, to think about and, 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 and internalize, and then, you know, manifest into their life. And sometimes that's just not the case. They just say, Hey man, great words. Yeah. 
you know. And, and, Ezekiel's uh, kind of an interesting example of that because there's there's a couple of different ways of, of going with the entertaining preaching. You look yeah. at the first half from last week, and Ezekiel's preaching, from our perspective anyway, it's pretty entertaining stuff. That's, oh, yeah. That's some wild, <laughs> yeah. crazy stuff. And yeah. he's preaching the truth, and it's intended, of course, to get the attention of his of his listeners, and it directly connects to the message that he's... This is not some kind of analogy that he's giving. This is right. a, a pantomime of the actual events. Yes. Uh, the, the flip side to that is the people who kind of ignore the content or practically ignore it and and just go for the impact, just go for the, the show, kind of like you, what you were saying there, and may very well acquire a great following or even have a style of preaching that is completely aside from or even contrary to the gospel. Yes. There, there are a lot of people who get really caught up in the whole health and wealth thing or they they even forsake the, the Bible entirely and, and turn the, right. the Lord's Church into some kind of social club or or political society or what have you. And and that very well may work. Uh, that very well may be very popular to the audience and very gratifying to the individual. But that doesn't right. mean it's God's word. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, it's, it's, it, my, my overall impression of these chapters is just that it's... Um, it's definitely not feel good. <laughs> uh, uh, it's not feel good preaching as we would consider feel good preaching for sure. sure. Even though it sounds like it from from chapter thirty three, that's really not what's happening. Well, is that the one story that you wanted to talk about, or was there something else you wanted to focus on? I mean, that's really that's what that's the one that sticks out for me. I mean, a, a lot of what we have here, you know, you have the prophe- prophecy against you know Mount Sierra, and you know we could we could talk about what Mount Sierra is. Um, you know, the prophecy against the mountains of Israel and what that means, you know, there, there's, there's prophecies against, um, you know, nations and then laments for nations, Tyre and Egypt are all mentioned. Um, obviously chapter 37, the Valley of the dry bones is a very popular, uh, you know, chapter that we could talk about. So I'm really open to whatever you want to talk about. I'm, I'm ready to jump in wherever you are. Well, um, you mentioned the dry bones. Let's talk about that for a second. That's okay. There are probably two scenes in Ezekiel that that are most familiar to the average relatively uninitiated reader. And they're right on right. top of each other. They're yes. the, um, chapter 37 with the dry bones and then 38 and 39 with this, this uh, Gog of Magog uh, battle of Armageddon kind of thing. And, and I really think that if you look at that in the same, in the context together, they make a lot more sense uh, to one yes. another because God is saying through Ezekiel here, I'm going to give life to this dead nation. I'm going to bring you back from the brink. And what's more, adding on the second half of chapter 37, I'm going to bring your erring brethren in too. I'm, these, these, this half of the nation that you've written off, I care about all my people. And, and I think that is connecting to the Jews and Gentiles being related in the church primarily there. But, but in, a, in a broader sense, all of my creation, I care about all of them, and I will find faith in all of them, and I will resurrect all of them. And and that would be a cool way to end the story, right? That, that would be yeah. a nice little capper. But that's where you get this, this climactic battle in chapter 38 and 39, this larger-than-life enemy that comes up out of nowhere and seems like he's completely undefeatable and, and completely terrifying. And, and I look at this rather than some kind of 
one-time fulfillment sometime in the future or sometime in the past thing. I look at this as a continued uh, revelation of the story of the people of God. It always works this way. God brings Abraham out of Haran. You are my chosen one. You're the one I'm going to bring a nation out of. Yay, great. Now, here's 25 years of misery that you're yeah. going to encounter. It's yeah. uh, the bad news always comes after the good news. The the book of Judges, you know, people bring on the bad news. It's, it's kind of their right. fault. But whether it's my fault or anybody else's fault, I arrive in a right relationship with God. That's not the end of the story. There's always a chapter two. We talked about this in, a, in our class on, on Sunday here at, at Lakewoods Drive. There's always a chapter two. We, we have to be prepared for that. Bad things yeah. are coming. And if you're trusting in God, if you lean on him in these difficult times, you're going to be okay because God's going to win the battle ultimately. But don't think that just because God pulled you out of the valley of dry bones that you've, you're victorious and there's no work to be done on your end. There, there's no further conflict or whatever. The conflict's just starting. You're, it's it's going to get really nasty at some point. Yeah. And God's going to find out who really has faith in the second life that he's giving us. Absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, that, that touches a little bit on what we, kind of what we talked about yesterday uh, with, with suffering, uh, you know, and I, I know that that's yet to come out. But, you know, when it does, I mean, you know, you can see that all over uh, Ezekiel, you know. And I, I love the, you know, when he, when he asked in verse 3 of, uh, of chapter 37, Son of man, can these bones live? Right. That's obviously rhetorical because God is the only one that can make dry bones live. You know, he's the only one with that power. And I think sometimes we get stuck in this in this mindset of saying, well, you know, well, God's pulled me out of the dark time. Good thing that's over. And it's never really over. I mean, I mean, absolutely, our our, our faith in God and what he does absolutely creates you know, a, 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 a relief of, uh, of sorts, but that's never, that's never the end of it. There, there's, there's, there's an admonition to always keep going. You know, when Paul talks about, you know, persevering, you know, um, when he, when he talks about, you know, pursuing, uh, you, you know, the, that life, there's a, there's an, uh, an implication of, of active seeking of active, uh, pursuing. It's never stagnant. It's it's like we said. Well, yeah, I did that one time, and I think what we see here is that it's not a one time thing. You know, whenever Paul mentions, you know, the the daily renewal of the mind, the transforming the mind by the daily renewal, there's an aspect of every day I will think about what God's pulled me out of, and then I will act upon that. And I think the Israelites, especially here, they they have a bad habit of just falling right back into where they were. It's like, okay, God pulled us out back to business as usual. And that's, that's, uh, that's not what, what the purpose of that was. And, and there's a, there's a tendency toward bitterness. If we're not careful with regard mm. to this, if our faith is shallow, if we don't really appreciate where we come from, we, we come to the Lord and we think our problems are over and we realize our problems have only just begun. And we think, well, why did I get saved in the first place? You know, what, what's the point in coming to the Lord if my life is going to be just as bad, if not worse, than it was before. And and the key to that, I think, is to appreciate properly where we're coming from. Right. If you remembered Egypt correctly, if you properly remember what it was like to live in Egypt, you're not going to whine in the wilderness. And you're certainly not going to whine about wanting to go back to Egypt. Yeah, It's it's a matter of 
properly appreciating our, from our perspective, our sin state, what it was like before we found the Lord, what it would be like if we did not have the Lord, what it's like to yeah. be the, the dry bones in the middle of the valley here. If we can properly appreciate sin and what happens to sin, then what happens to us in the physical realm in Jesus is really almost irrelevant. It's the, the apostles don't whine about being persecuted because they're doing the right thing. They pray for boldness that they face the, uh, the adversity. They, right. they want to confront these difficult times. It's a blessing because of what they've come out of. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, no, I, I think, I think this, you know, the Ezekiel is probably more relevant than we, than we give credence to um, in, in regards to a lot of the mindset today, because I, I know the pendulum always swings, right? I mean, you know, we, we, you know, in the, the, you know, last 50 years, we swung, we, we swung hard to, you know, book chapter verse theology, which is, I, I still think correct. Uh, you know, but, it, but it, almost to a, to a, to a point of, of what many would call legalism or Phariseeism. And then in the last 20 years or so, it has swung hard the other way where it's all grace and, and forgiveness and love. And those things are equally as important as, as law, right? I mean, spirit and truth are part of it. But what happens is when the pendulum swings, this is where we end up. We forget about the destructiveness of sin. We forget about the dry bones that, that God restored. Uh, and, and we, I don't want to say we revel in the old days, but we talk a lot about, you know, the old days like they were a good thing, like they were a good time. And, um, and this is the reminder that they weren't. They were dead. We were dead. I mean, what, like like Paul says in Ephesians, you know, you were dead in your sins, you know, and 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 now now we're alive. And I think there is a there's a healthy um, there's a healthy mindset there that that remembers where we came from, not with fondness, but for what for what we came out of was, you know, dead dry bones, bleached by the sun, and all the the scriptures used there. Um, and I think that that's a, we just forget about the reanimation of our, of our, of our dead self, mm-hmm. you know, that, that God's the only one that can do that. He knew the dry bones could live and he's the only one that could do it. Uh, Philip Martin, by the way, says, if you're not keeping up with the notes, he says you have the best hair in the business. Which is, uh, <laughs> uh, well, I, listen, I, I would say the same thing about him. He, I've seen his hair shell. He aspires to be Keith Stonehart, but uh, <laughs> well, I don't know about that. One of these days. He's, a, he's, Philip, he's definitely a smarter guy than I am. That's for sure. Well, since he's out there, I'll, I'll throw Philip a bone here because Philip is, is famous across the brotherhood for his garden theology. And, yeah. and this section of Ezekiel is just chock full of it. Uh, the garden of Eden is mentioned as many times in the book of Ezekiel as it is in Genesis. Yes. Virtually every time that it's mentioned in the Bible other than Genesis is in, is in uh, Ezekiel here. And whether it's the the falling the cherub the anointing cherub that has uh, has fallen, or whether it's the uh, Egypt or the the trees of Lebanon, uh, the trees of Assyria that's being compared to, and it, it comes up over and over again. And the the idea of of falling from grace is a is a powerful powerful metaphor. The idea of of being in this exalted state and and coming down to earth. Mm. is is a, a chastening kind of thing we uh I th- and I think the reason that we don't shake as much as we should is because we don't understand what Eden is we don't yeah. understand 
the idea of living in the paradise of God, what we had access to, what we may have access to again uh, with God's grace. It's a the idea of living in fellowship with God is is something that that we just absolutely take for granted. I think, and certainly Israel of old did. Hundred percent. I you know um, in different classes that I've been in over the over the years, you know the the one concept that always comes up about Eden is that or the Garden of Eden, especially the Garden, is that it wasn't so much about a location, but about the presence. It was the atmosphere. You were in the atmosphere of God. If you could, if you could just imagine breathing in the same air that He does, right? That when He walked in the cool of the Garden in the in the cool of the day. Uh, with Adam and Eve, they breathed the same air. They they took up the same space, and so it's much more than just a physical location. You know, I, I know, you know, as, as long as human history has probably been in existence, there's a fascination with the location of the Garden of Eden. The location doesn't matter. What mattered was God's presence there and the and the fellowship with Him in that. That's why the fall, I think, is is. You're right. It's something we should contemplate a little more. Uh, that the fall from that, that, that having to step outside the garden, you know, I, I, I talked about a little bit about that yesterday. Whatever that looked like, when they when they had to, they were here, and then they had to step over this line, whatever that is, and they weren't allowed to go back. Mm-hmm. That is a devastating, devastating event, and you know, because it, it's it's written in very short terminology. Sometimes we don't really place the significance on it that it that it really commands. But I mean, to be in God's presence and then to have to step outside of God's presence, no longer able to go back in. When Christ makes that possible, right? When 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 the blood of Christ makes us stepping back into that relationship, back into His presence, possible. Those two things are, well, I mean, they're as significant as the resurrection. Right in, in regards to what our faith hinges upon, and you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, the the imagery there is undeniable, uh, and and how much the garden is mentioned here. I think it does, it it, it demands a, I think a a, a fair, uh, a, a fairly worded response in saying that we should tremble. That that's something that we should tremble about. I one you know the text doesn't say anything about how long the Garden of Eden remained on right. Earth. Clearly, yeah. if it was still on Earth at the flood, it was destroyed in the flood. Yes, but um, I, I I found myself this week thinking a lot about what it must have been like for humans in general, Adam and Eve initially, and then of course all their their successors, looking off in the distance and seeing this flaming sword glowing in the middle of the night, and saying, "Hey, that's what great 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 granddaddy Adam said. That's that's Eden over there. That's the Garden of Eden." That's where we yeah. used to be in fellowship with God. And clearly by, by Noah's day and probably by Enoch's day, there had developed two very real reactions to that. There's yeah. that, that one reaction of awe, which you would think would be the norm. You would think that everybody would say, what a wonderful, wonderful story. I would do anything to be able to get back there. But it really seems like the overriding concern was one of resentment you know how dare god take that away from us you know i will reject god just to spite god Uh, god Mm -hmm. is the problem god is the bad guy in this story because they both saw the same sword they both saw the same place where they could not be anymore 
and, and so many people in the modern day don't necessarily reject the idea of God, but reject the principle of God, the, the values of God, the requirements of God to such a degree, I would rather live in hell. And they will say that in, in oh, so yeah. many words. I don't think they have any idea what they're talking about, but no, I, agree. Is, I would rather live in hell than live in heaven, if that's the kind of God that you're talking about. Absolutely. I, I think that that's, that that's the primary mindset that I've encountered. It's it's just that it's how dare God not accept me like this? You know who is you know yeah you know we we live in a, in a, in a culture that that truly celebrates self currently right and I, you know and I don't want this to become a tirade about you know uh, modern culture. The truth is is that Christianity is never going to change culture right. I mean that's 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 all, that's yeah. been said. Since, since the beginning of, of, of preaching of the gospel, when Jesus says, you know, narrow is the way, we understand that we are never going to have the impact on culture that we want to. But we see it. We see the celebration of self, the, the, the elevation of, well, who is God not to accept me? Because, you know, I'd be doing him a favor, right? I mean, that, and that's a, a lot of what we see. But like you, I, I can't help but think that if, if they, you know, You've got, you know, the generations following Adam, they look back and they, if they could see the garden, say, yeah, that's where we used to dwell with God and we can't go over there anymore. Man, how devastating is that? Is that is that we used to be there and now we can't go there because of what we've done. And I think that really puts the the gravity, you know, uh, of, of what sin really does into a proper perspective, that it is separation from God that outside of Christ we can't go back to. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's, it's a great illustrator for sure. Uh, I, I knew I'd get a comment out of Philip if I called him out. Uh, Philip says, God makes it easy for us. He tells us we need reminders. He told the disciples the Spirit would bring remembrance to them. The repeats help us get things faster. The garden is one. But think about how often God sends someone to Egypt or when somebody, uh, when someone, when someone times to bring Egypt to that tries to bring Egypt to them. I didn't, I don't quite get the, uh, the note there, but the Egypt references, I, I come back to this a lot. And we, we covered this in Jeremiah a couple of weeks ago. How is it that the people of God just continually want to go back to Egypt? I mean, in a literal sense, that, that is the very metaphor for rejecting the things of God saying, God's trying to bring you into the promised land. No, thanks. I would rather live in slavery. That's, that's what I would like to do. We see it over and over again when when all help all fails. Well, I guess we go back to Egypt if we really wanted to. Uh, this this repetition that Philip's talking about, it, hopefully it works for us. I'm not sure it was working for the Israelites very well over the centuries, but hopefully at least it works for us. I think about what well, I, I work. I work with addicts, you know, and um, you know, uh, and and you, you see that a lot. I mean, having been an addict myself, I understand the mindset that many times that we, we go back to what we're comfortable with, even if it was slavery, right? I mean, because, you know, you can, you can make a lot of parallels between addiction and slavery and, you know, that sort of thing and being a slave to something uh, that controls you and that sort of thing. But that's what people do. That's, that's what we do as, as, as people. We, we go back to what we're comfortable with. You even see it in Peter, right? You know, after, after the crucifixion, you know, uh, and, and Peter hadn't yet seen the resurrected Jesus. You know, even even though they ran to the tomb, they they saw his linens there, and and um, you know they they knew. But Peter hadn't seen him since he last saw him in the courtyard. Mm. 
you know, where they lock eyes and they have this moment where Peter kind of realizes who he is in that moment. And he's a coward in that moment. Right. And so he, uh, he, he realized, you know, and so I wonder sometimes, you know, if Peter doesn't exemplify some of that, because what does he do? Well, he, 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 I'm going, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what I used to do because I, I was doing this, but now that's over. Um, and I realize who I am in this moment. And I don't even know if I'm on God's team anymore uh, after what I did. Right. Uh, and, and so he goes back to what he he's used to. And I think that's the illustration that we see time and time again, is that, is that we as human beings grew comfortable with our sin, even if it was killing us, even if it was bad for us, even if it was destructive in every single way, if that's what we're comfortable with, because we spent more time there, that's what we go back to. And I think that's a great, a great way to illustrate that, the, what Philip said there. Yeah. The, time and time again, they just keep going back. It's a battered wife syndrome kind of thing. Yeah. Is there a particular verse that uh, jumps out at you you'd like to talk about? So I really like, you know, in, in verse 14, where he says, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. I mean, th- there's a lot to talk about right there. Mm-hmm. But he says, I will place you in your own land and then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. I will be their God. They will, shall be my people. That's a that's a powerful verse. Um, chapter thirty seven. Yes, yeah, chapter thirty seven. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, chapter thirty seven, verse fourteen. Um, you know that that I will be their God and they shall be my people. We see that that that's a that's a, what a, a repeated verse uh, throughout Scripture. You know, mm-hmm. we, we see it in Hosea, right? And, and and so we, you know, it's the same, it's the same idea where we're, you know, God declares, I will, I will be your God and you'll be my people. Um, in spite of all this, in spite of all this going on, there's a, there's an effort on uh, God's part to redeem his people. And um, I, I don't like to use the, the, uh, the language that makes it seem like God is like begging for us or, 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 you know, like, like, I mean, we don't, we have absolutely nothing that he needs, but he wants us. He wants us to be his people. And you see this repeated language that I will be your God and you'll be my people. And the idea, uh, you know, um, when Jesus laments, you know, that, that I, I tried to gather you into my wings, like a, like a, like a mother does her chicks, but you would not. Mm-hmm. That's the struggle that still exists today. You see it in Ezekiel's time. You see it in Hosea. You see it in the New Testament. You see it now. Uh, it, it is it is that that constant where God is pursuing us. God pursues pursues us still, and it's not because we're great, but because He is, and it really exemplifies the love of God. It's it's, it's God's love manifest. The fact that He pursues His creation when we constantly reject Him. Um. And obviously, I mean, he will let us go. I mean, he's he's not he he'll never force us uh, to love him back. But that's that's ultimately what he wants. That um, was reminding me of James four was it verse five? Uh, how the, he jealously desires the spirit that yeah. dwells in us. When, and and again, it takes us back to the garden, right? Yes. Uh, that he he grew, puts all these bones together. He puts meat on him. He puts skin on him. But the work isn't done until he speaks his breath into them. And when he yes. breathes life into them, just like in the garden, that's when they become alive. 
this this pneuma that the Greek has in the New Testament, the, the breath, the spirit, the air in our lungs. This is what makes us alive, and this is why we're alive. Yeah. Uh, God put life in us so that he that we could serve him. And when yes. we are not serving him with that life, well, then what's the point of having life in the first place? Right. That that breath that he gives us, that uh, he says, I'll put my spirit within you and you'll come to life. Come to life for me. You know, I could have left you as dry bones if you were just going to be sinful. You know, that's I'm right. giving you this chance so that you can make a change, so that yes. you can make a, a real commitment. You can give yourself to me. That's why I made Adam and Eve in the first place. That's why I'm remaking you in Jesus in the in the modern day, so as to not sin the more that grace may increase. He, he wants us to give this new life a chance to, to do yes. better the next time around. And, and obviously we're going to fail from time to time, but then that's where, where grace and mercy come in. It's a wonderful thing that he's patient with us. But if we don't even try, if we squander this chance, uh, whether you've been baptized or not, what difference does it make? It's, uh, that's just a, a tragedy. It really is. I, I think it is, it is the great tragedy of all tragedies. That here's here's a here's an all powerful, holy, just God. That it really, if you think about it, if you think about justice, if you think about God as justice, and that everything outside of God is a non-justice, right? That, that God's holy, therefore He's just. That if you split that non-justice into two sections, you've got injustice, which is sin and evil, and then you've got non-justice, which in this case is mercy that God commits a non-justice to reach out to us because we deserve death. We deserve punishment. We deserve judgment. And yet he, he pursues us in this way that he wants to be our God and he wants us to be his people. And what we wrestle with, I think, is what we've seen in these other verses is that we want it on our terms and not his. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that's a that's a powerful, powerful thing. And of course, I mean, there's also the the fact that he's there's also sort of a, a foreshadowing or, or, or looking towards the time when Gentiles and 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 the children of Israel would, would would all be one and all be his people. And I think you know we see that in this chapter as well. But I, I love that that phrase that I will be your God, you know, and you will be my people. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it comes on his terms and not our own. That's right. The, the very last phrase in, in the book, after having spent nine chapters describing this fantastic temple that's going to exist, that's going to incorporate and put to work all of his people, it shall be said, the Lord is there. Uh, yeah. God is going to inhabit this temple. Uh, there, no indication that the, the glory ever came into uh, uh, Zerubbabel's temple or Herod's temple, certainly. Uh, right. But, uh, but Jesus is with us, and he's, he's walking in his temple today just like he was walking in the in Herod's temple uh, 2,000 years ago. Uh, the Lord is there uh, if, we, right. if we can take advantage of that. Well, I think that, again, that's another one of those things that echoes back to the garden. If you, if you really look at it, if, if you know, the, the garden was where God dwelled with man, and, you know, in, 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 you know, in, in this day, if God dwelt with man in the, in the, in the temple, well, then that would have made the garden the first temple, right? The garden is the first temple, that fell, then you have this temple, you know the the the, the old the Old Testament temple of, of um, the, the priest and, and and where where God dwelled with man, and that fell. Well, now you have the temple of the New Testament church, the temple that won't fall, the temple that will exist until the Lord comes, 
And I, 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 it's, it's amazing how many parallels there are to that, you know, where, where we have that, that original temple where, where the, the plan was for us to subdue the earth and fill it, essentially making the earth one big temple of God, which sin, you know, for the time being thwarted. And then the old temple, the old Testament temple fell when it was, you know, uh, with the, with the, uh, the, um, uh, the captivity, you know, but but now the temple that we dwell in now, this temple that he mentions in the last verse that you're talking about, that's where we are. Mm-hmm. We're in that temple. We're in that beautiful temple that that won't fall. Um, and I, th- I mean, for me, that when you when you take Ezekiel in, it, in its entirety in its context, that's the passage that provides all the hope. That that's where we are. We're in that temple. Excellent. It's amazing. All right, well, my battery's going to die here before too long, so let's wrap this up with one word. All right. You supply the word. <laughs> oh, one word. I got you. Um, lament. That's what that's what I see uh, throughout Ezekiel. Uh you know, is a you know he's got a prophecy against Egypt, then he's got a lament for Egypt. He's got a prophecy against Tyre. He's got a lament for Tyre, and, there, and there's lament throughout for Jerusalem because of their constant rejection of the Lord. And I think that um, if there's nothing that we can take away, separation separation from God should produce lament. That that you know we should be bothered to not only know that 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 we separate ourselves from God when we sin but that the majority of the world is separated from God and and understanding here where he he wants to be their god and he wants them to be his people just as he is our god and and we are his people there's sort of a duality in that word that I don't I don't want to say God is heartbroken because I don't know that uh but as a father myself, I would be extremely heartbroken to know that my children didn't want a relationship with me, mm-hmm. that I want to be your father. I am your father, and I want, I want you to choose me as your father. And if they rejected me, I would lament. And, and, and what I hope that we see in that is that lament's a good thing. Lament, lamenting is what brings us back uh, to his presence if we let it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, lament on, as you say, on both sides there. It's, it's God mourning us. It's us, hopefully at least, mourning our, our lack of relationship with God. Yeah. And, and if, you know, the, the idea of free will always comes up here. You know, if God were to grab us by the neck and drag us into a right relationship with God and re resent it in the entire time, how much joy would that create for God? Is that None. really good news? Is that, that's, that's contrary to his purpose, and, and obviously the answer, the bigger answer is much bigger than that. But but what a, a tragedy it is for all involved when yeah, the prodigal yeah. doesn't come home, when when we we refuse to submit, when we insist on continuing to rebel, or even if we come back home for a you know for a quick lunch and then we go out and start rebelling again. Right. It, it shouldn't be that way. It, it doesn't have to be that way. God doesn't want it that way. And, and he has made ample opportunity. And reminding ourselves of all these stories should help. Opportunity for us to return, for us to learn from our mistakes. God continues to be merciful. He continues to, while there's life, there's opportunity. We, we still have a chance to do this right. I have a chance to do this right. Yeah, absolutely.
Absolutely. No, great imagery. Uh, definitely something to think about the rest of the day. Uh, for myself, I mean, you know, this is this is one of those things that uh, that once you spend a little time here, it's hard to shake that. Uh, and so I, I hope that's that's that'll be the case for everyone who got to watch this. I hope so. Well, apologies again for the technical glitches and and the weird backdrop and all that kind of thing for for me. But I'm going to get on the road and find my daughter and uh, make sure that her car isn't uh, on fire right now. So uh, pray for me as I travel. Uh, continue to read your your Bible. Next week, at the reading gets a little shorter. Uh, I don't know about easier necessarily. We get half of Daniel, uh, Daniel 1 through 6 next week, and then 7 through 12, obviously, the week after that. And that, and that reading is also short, but uh, yeah. fraught with challenges. So anyway, and if I remember right, my my brother, the, the smart Hammonds, is going to be with us next week uh, talking about Daniel 1 through 6. I'm sure we'll find something to have a conversation about in that section. So uh, anyway, until then, thanks uh, to Keith for, for joining in. Thanks to everyone else for following along. Go to spiritbuilding.com if you want copies of the material. Until then, thanks for tuning in and read your Bible.